Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Trendsetters podcast episode. Today is going to be an interesting one because we've touched on a few of the subjects here prior, but today we're going to dive into them a little bit more in depth. And today I'm going to be chatting with Michael Nevsky, a marketing executive in the finance industry and also a 2019-2020 Adweek executive mentee. Michael, it is a pleasure to have you on today. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Jake. I'm so excited to be here and share my uh, knowledge and expertise with your audience and done for you guys as well. Yeah. So the first question I really want to dive into is on some of the methodologies and approaches um, that are taken within marketing strategy. So, so there's a lot to be had, whether it's more creative led, maybe social listening led, looking at consumers and comments and things of that nature. And then there's also more of a, more of a data driven approach. If you were to prioritize one of those or, or rank one at the top, which, which might it be and, and why would that be the case? Oh, that's a very interesting question, Jake. Thank you. As you know, financial services industry and wealth management services industry uh, in particular are going for lots of changes, right? The technology disruption, fintech, the generational change in attitude, investments. Uh, all of those factors, economy, the availability of investment advice and accessibility to financial advice and industry uh, is changing, right? So it becomes ubiquitous. And considering that definitely nowadays, uh, although creative and social listening and some other sources are still very important pieces of marketing, but I would definitely prioritize and put a data-driven approach on top of all of those and the reason why, because very often as this industry is becoming very mature and saturated, but being affected by financial, uh, by fintech and technology, uh, financial advice and banking services become, as I mentioned already, very accessible and free. So, and how you compete first and foremost, you compete based on client experience and based on people's approach and accessibility to your uh, services. So that means it's very much client experience, user experience. So the data approach plays very important role in that aspect to measure their satisfaction, to measure their experience, uh, how they go for onboarding process, interacting with the product, interacting with the client, company representative, and many other aspects. And then you start moving to those sources down the pipeline, I guess, the pyramid. Uh, what other channels affect uh, client experience and client interaction? or prospect interaction with your product and services. And that's where you start using social media listening. That's where you start uh, using a marketing creative or go to a market overall strategic approach where you use direct to consumer, where you use other touch points in their journey, like publishers or uh, aggregator sites where you start getting that data. But definitely, like I mentioned, data driven approach social listening and creative. That's how I would rank all those three major um, strategic tactics, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would agree with that notion. I think the reason why the data approach isn't maybe number one for everyone right now is perhaps the application of data. And one of the biggest problems I always see when applying that is you might have insights or those that are more data driven a lot of times their, their brain might operate a little bit more, more uh, a little bit differently. And it might be a little bit more math or science oriented, whereas your creatives, a little bit more design and feel and emotion and such, and oftentimes connecting the two, uh, your creative team and those that are actually applying the work, 
they don't want to look at a 150 page report of insights and graphs and stats and all those things. They, they just want to see it. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest struggles when it comes to the data approach is actually applying that because I think data falls into one of the categories where it, it can very much be paralysis by analysis and we don't know how to apply any of it. There's just too much. So from your perspective, how, how do you best transform that data different approach into executions? How do you transform that, that process of going from data to the insight, to the idea, to the execution? I, I love to break that down because I know that's something that a lot of our listeners struggle with. Oh, that's an excellent question, Jake. And uh, I've noticed throughout my career, many companies, many teams have different uh, approaches to that. So, but all of them still working through that conundrum, how you can make that data insight, overall data knowledge actionable for your, uh, your company, for your business partners, for your department. And what I worship, I worship like a 10 steps approach. You probably heard me before uh, when I, in other interviews, I talk about it, right? So, I, and I'm going to be very brief on those. I'm not going to spend too much time, but I just want to mention key aspects of that. You need to measure the right thing, right? So you need to understand what you're trying to measure. Is it, for example, when people open a new account, are you trying to measure how fast they can open an account or if there are any hindering points as they go through the process of opening an account and what's your abandon rate? And how you understand that from your personal uh, experience and research, but also talking to your business partners, understanding what their uh, biggest hurdles, what their challenges. So, and based on that, you start formulating those right questions. We need a broad research or data insights. When I analyze the data, I need to ask the right questions to really understand what the key components of that. And then you, uh, once you know, you understand the measurement, you ask the right questions, you start formulating the segments, you start formulating the uh, kind of a problems and how to create a customization for that. And at that point, so to your earlier point, say, uh, start using the data visualization to convey the message. So to really tell your story. So, and when you do that, you need to set up the, uh, discover, uh, discover the context of your data set. So you need to uh, really talk about what those numbers represent, how it affects the business, how the data is collected. In order to set up the context without that setup, does not represent a lot of meaningful value, right? So you need to really talk in terms of the story, uh, saying customers going through this process or prospects looking at this product page and they want to learn X, Y, and Z. And because they're not funding that, so they're abandoning the page or they're leaving and stuff like that. So, and once you know that you need to pretty much apply almost like a Six Sigma process where you build a, a solid optimization plan where you define, you measure, you analyze, you understand and apply improvements. So, and then you control the change by deploying the A-B testing, comparing that and understanding. And based on that, you formulate a hypothesis and you look at additional data sources, like I already mentioned, uh, social listening, uh, internal data, CRM data, prospect data, third-party data to really create a customer or prospect 360. So, and through working through that problem, as you're working through that problem, you need to really break down organizational silos to really bring all the key stakeholders together to share your uh, project work, to share your insights, to really get that support, right? To create that cohesiveness throughout the organization. 
And the last factor, but not uh, least important factor, hire the right people who can really execute, who can really uh, help you to create that actionable data insights. So hopefully it all makes sense. I probably uh, <laughs> shared a lot of information with you. So, Yeah, but th that's what we need. And to your note on the final uh, final point there, I think that's something we, we preach often. And a common trend we, we've seen with a lot of the guests we've had on is uh, the reality is that you, you very much have to be versatile and, and flexible um, as a marketer because you, know, you can be the best videographer or designer in the world, but if you don't understand the correlation with data and insights and you're not dangerous enough, you know, in that arena, that's, that's going to cause some problems. And, uh, so I think there's a lot of, lot of, lot of band-aids that, and, and short-term fixes such as, you know, communication, collaboration and more. Uh, but ultimately, like you said, if you have the right team in place that at least knows, you don't have to be the best at it. I don't expect you to be a data analyst and a creative producer. Uh, but as long as you know enough, you, you know, you should be, should be good to go. And something that, that, that always fascinates me in the finance industry is the, uh, the innovation that we continue to see. And we kind of have this convergence of a, of a couple different things. We have Gen Z and millennial coming into the market. And uh, while millennials aren't, aren't the most financially savvy, Gen Z is, is definitely in set to surpass millennials income by the year 2030 or net worth rather. Uh, at the same time, you have fintech brands that seem to be jumping in left and right everywhere. I mean, there's a new fintech brand every other day. Uh, and then you also have financial advisors that are aging and they're getting older or their clients, you know, baby boomers and beyond are, are, are retiring and, and starting to, to spend a lot less and maybe, uh, you know, transferring that wealth to uh, their, their family and sons and daughters and so on. So we have a convergence of so many different things. So from your perspective, um, what, what are some interesting things that, that you foresee over the next decade? Because I think it's truly going to be very pivotal moments through, through the finance arena. And there's so many things we can talk about within this. But from a macro perspective, like what, what do you see and what, what stands out to you? That's another great question. I'm really enjoying it today. So you really nailed it on the head. All of those very interesting, very in-demand questions, I would say. So definitely, um, as I mentioned before, in my opinion, as wealth management and banking industry going through lots of changes, lots of people, and especially if we look at the generational divide, abandon their traditional brick and mortar banks or institutions where it would require more of a face-to-face -face interaction. And as you know, millennials and specific, especially Gen Z, they don't want to deal with human beings. They don't want to even deal with laptops. They really want to have information at their fingertips uh, when they want it when they need it and make it as uh, shortest to brief interaction as possible. So that means mobile phone have their entire financial uh, portfolio, including banking on the mobile phone and in one single or multiple views, but easily accessible, easily changeable. Uh, so, and that change in a generational approach and also because technology is becoming less and less expensive to deliver. Like, for example, RoboAdvisory, right? Companies like Robinhood and Wealthfront and Otherwise, they can easily deliver those services. And very often you don't pay for those services at all. So it affects the industry overall. And so to your point, yes, baby boomers uh, and some experts like me, uh, some, some special baby boomers, they sometimes want to have that human interaction and advice. And that's where I feel that the niche for financial advice is going to stay in 10 years, but it's going to 
are very much narrowed down significantly, right? Because younger generations will not require uh, that personal human touch. They would want to have artificial intelligence, right? They would want technology to really help them to make a decision and interact quickly and flawlessly. So, and another uh, aspect of that, so which affects the industry, that because advice, overall financial advice, becoming less and less expensive to deliver, so it becomes free. So it transforms the wealth management and banking industry where cash is king. What I mean by that, that primarily majority of those companies making money on interest spread on cash. So financial advice, RIA business advisory services, so-called, so and many others shrinking really in terms of the revenue. So how those companies will be able to overcome this big, huge challenge conundrum, I think by building very individual customization solutions. So let's say Jake wants to open a, a brokerage account. So me as a company, I would need to know already lots of information about you and what you wanted to achieve to create customization from the first touch point when you start browsing for uh, potential providers to point of learning about the products and services to making a decision uh, to open an account, right? And as you go through those touch points, companies would need to create a customization and it could be outside of their main domain. It could be uh, news sites, it could be like I mentioned, publishers, aggregators, and many others. So that means customization. And I already mentioned before, uh, personalized client experience, customer experience would be the utmost, uh, uh, bring utmost value to those companies. And also another aspect of that, in my opinion, uh, besides customer experience, uh, you need to really understand potential clients or investors' mindset. So it would be some small group of even millennials or Gen Z who are, in a sense, not self-directed clients, who would be heavy so-called validators. So people who saying, I want to work with somebody who can help me to make that financial advice. And that's where the opportunity for, like I mentioned, financial advisors to come in and build a personalized relationship at a human level, right? And advise them. But very often it would be a very much remote relationship. People not gonna come as often to see other people in terms of financial advice or banking, they would do it remote. So that means new technology, which provides opportunity for like we today to talk, to see each other, but have many more other uh, features and benefits of sharing documents, reviewing portfolios, uh, playing demo scenarios. So virtual reality will come in and play and play a big role in that aspect. So the whole industry is going to change. And I think it's going to be more of a consolidation and merger last aspect uh, between banking overall and wealth management and advice. So it's going to be more uh, ubiquitous platform because I just read it, uh, one of the recent surveys where 53% of people who banking at their major bank ready to abandon that banking institution if they will be provided with better client experience through mobile app. Imagine that across all the generational divide because again, having a virtual bank or virtual financial advising platform as your financial needs nowadays, very accessible, free, and you can do that in a minute. So to change that. So that's another factor, big factor, which will change the industry, transform the industry in 10 years from now. That's incredible. And uh, 
I know I set it up where there was a lot to unpack, but I think I think you you hit a good good majority of it, uh, and it's so in- integrated and interwoven uh, with all the details. And I, I think what what's so interesting is we tend we tend to look at things as if they might be black and white. So you mentioned like the, the mobile app usage that was across all generations, not just young people. And similarly, within you know younger individuals right now, obviously a, a good majority of them are going to be on robo advising and other platforms like a Robinhood and others. Uh, and so this notion would be, well, that's going to be one hundred percent, and there's no need for a financial advisor. But that's simply not the case. And uh, you know, both both can be true. You can have very tech savvy sixty year olds who want to be on Robinhood. You can have twenty year olds who want hand to hand financial advice. So. I think it's important we always approach things with that aspect because while even if the number is 80%, well, 20% of the Gen Z and millennial demographic is still a large amount of people and a large potential uh, you know, wealth transfer that, that's going to be taking place. So I think that's an incredible insight. And I know for our listeners here, a lot are, are stemming from, from the marketing arena, uh, but there's also a, a lot of students who are potential finance majors or at least cognizant of that arena so for say you're a finance student right now and maybe you're going to be a financial advisor maybe you're going into the business side who knows what it is there's so many different pathways what would your advice be for students or anyone looking to get into the industry that's looking at this and and ultimately saying what what do i even like how do i comprehend all of this and what do i even dive into because you know should they be looking at fintech should they be looking at banking should they be looking at you know consumer side financial advising there's so many different arenas so I guess what would your your advice be um, to to individuals that are either looking to get into the industry or trying to understand further uh, or students that are going to be thrown into it uh, within the next couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. I, I can only share my uh, experience. So how I explore that, what what is my passion, right? So number one, uh, understand what are you passionate about? So uh, that means read about different industries like Overall, yes, finance industry, but read about banking, read about investments, uh, read about finance, because as we know, there are different types of finance uh, opportunities. Do you want to be a stock trader or do you want to be a portfolio manager who analyzes the stocks or do you want to understand the consumer sentiment or investor sentiment and overall market? So you need to understand and explore your passion first and how you do it. Like I said, you read, you learn. And if you have an opportunity, try to use like summer internship or some other uh, project-based opportunities where you work a, a little bit in the industry. You try to explore what you like, what you dislike, what you're passionate. And then once you understand that, the next step in the process really to start formulating where I want to be five years from now when I grow up. So. And it means, uh-huh, I want to be in brokerage. So do I want to be a financial advisor? Or do I want to uh, work in corporate finance for big uh, bank or brokerage house? Then try to understand what companies inspire you, what culture. So what their causes uh, are they, let's say, if you're socially responsible and environmentally responsible, do they uh, support a lot of ESG funds and stuff like that? I want to work for that company because that company is contributing or helping kids in Africa. So to get a better education, for example, and stuff like that. So understand those. And then you start boiling down. Where do I want to live and what geographies and uh, what type of uh, teams I want to be on. So do your research, to really do your preparation. And in my case, I work in several industries before I started with 
uh, finance uh, and brokerage. So when I was young and I worked in a, at the first stock exchange in, uh, in Russia, I had a chance. And then I left that industry and went to advertising and went to consumer packaged goods and big data. But eventually I, I came back. So I work in banking, I work in investments, and I understood that my passion is really market research, marketing research, and uh, marketing and financial services industry, and especially in wealth management and payments. So, uh, and that's how you uh, derive. You try, test, if you fail, you go back to uh, square one, you understand maybe I need to do the uh, career transition and do something else. And you try again until you get it right. And you learn from others, definitely. Have a mentor, if possible, within the industry, right? Who will understand you, help you to understand the industry better, your passions, uh, what you like to do. So, and build a relationship. In the end of the day, you need to build a relationship and have fun. Uh, with those who work in the industry to really understand their perspectives and share their experiences and learn from them. So that's how I did it. And But there is no right or wrong answer here. Each uh, path is very individual. But I want to say in a, in a conclusion, do not, uh, don't be afraid to explore, right? Don't be afraid to ask questions and learn from others. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. So this helps you to grow personal and professionally and always focus on what is now. Don't think about what happened in the past and don't be afraid of the future. Focus on what is now. I would echo all of that. And my final question for you is you, you came to America from Russia in the, the mid to late 90s. And then we had kind of the tech bubble, 08, and now obviously 2020. And, uh, you know, you continue to, to progress across industries and roles and, and so on. And uh, it's, it's been an incredible, you know, career progress. And, and I'm sure you've enjoyed a, a large part of, of, if not everything, of that experience. And for a lot of our listeners right here, they're 20-somethings and they are uh, struggling for work or employment. And if they're in marketing, you know, marketing budgets are getting cut and marketing is typically the first thing to get let go. And if they just graduated from college or about to be and not a frothy job market by any means, and hopefully, you know, that's all going to turn around. But I know they're looking at it and maybe looking at it from a very fearful perspective. So is there any advice you could give to, you know, maybe around persistence or hustle or grit or anything of that nature? Because obviously you, you came here from Russia and now you've been able to, to continue growing through the ranks and it's been an incredible journey. And I think, uh, yeah, yeah. So is there anything we'd speak to in that arena? Thank you. Uh, nobody asked me that question, but it's a great question. I, I'm very thankful you asked me that question. Um, number one, as I mentioned before, my first recommendation, have a passion for what you do. So definitely be purpose driven. So that means if I want to do something, really understand how you can get there. I believe Winston Churchill said that never, ever, ever give up, right? Something along those lines. So that means doesn't matter what, doesn't matter what kind of a situation in the economy, because it all comes and goes in cycles. As you know, right now we're going for the lows and pretty soon we're going to be going for the highs. And so marketing uh, will be again in, in big demand and stuff like that. So use that times by not giving up but use that time to bump up your expertise your knowledge take a online course of training and right now unlike 25 years ago 
lots of online resources are available and they are free. So lots of academies and stuff like that or sites provide those classes for free. So again, build a relationship within the industry. Try to network. Don't be afraid to reach out and connect with people. Yes, you can knock on a hundred doors and definitely like certain percentage of those going to be uh, closed for you or even locked, but you keep knocking on a new door and eventually that door will be open. Eventually you will meet a person of people who will be willing to share, to support, to help. So that's how you don't give up. So and be naturally curious, not just, okay, this is my job or this is what I want to do. Try to broaden your skill set. So I see, Jake, that you're very, very knowledgeable about many industries and you're passionate about marketing and you're very passionate about what you do. So, but it's so interesting to talk to you because you know lots of different stuff. And myself, I always had that natural curiosity. Yes, sometimes being from uh, like many other uh, immigrants like myself, being uh, outside of the United States, sometimes you bring that more directiveness or that natural curiosity when people think that you kind of pushing it but it's really you trying to explore a little bit more because normally people just stay within their little bubble that's the kind of secret once you becoming that expert once you can support and do more for the company for your team so you become more valuable for so uh and becoming an expert and that's how you grow and never give up you know your value you know what you can bring to the table you know your core passions and qualities so always kind of use them as a pillar throughout uh, thin and thick right so and keep going chase your north star chase your dreams so always never give up yeah and i always uh i always push the latin word curiosita which i'm probably mispronouncing uh, which translates from a childlike sense of curiosity uh, which i think is a better definition of it so yeah, that's incredible advice. I echo all of those messages. And Michael, it was truly an honor having you on today. For all of our listeners here, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. And if you have any questions in the finance realm or anything on this podcast, feel free to let me know on any social media channel and I'll be sure to get back to you. Granted, my, my response might not be the best, but I'll try to pull in some experts that can help. Thanks so much for tuning in and I will see you all next week.